listening to The Adjacent Self, brought to you by the Conscious Leadership Academy at the University of San Diego. We're your hosts, Kendra and Libby, and we're going to help you explore how to step into the best version of you. Thanks for being here. How are you? I'm good, Libby. How are you? I'm good. We are so lucky today. We have Tiana. She's going to talk to us about body positivity, intuitive eating, what is an RD, a registered dietitian. So Tiana's a registered dietitian. She's an eating disorder and disordered eating specialist. She's working on becoming a certified intuitive eating counselor. She's a wife. She's a mom of four. She's amazing. I work with her personally. So hi, Tiana. Welcome. Hi. Hi, ladies. Thanks for having me. So excited to have you. Yeah, absolutely. So just to start off, we're going to do a one breath together. I'll go ahead and lead us through it. So if we could just go ahead and take an inhale. Exhale. Hmm. So nice. Yeah. All right. So Kendra and I really wanted to do this episode because we are both um, plus-sized women, and we know that body positivity is a really important thing. And so we really wanted to talk about the work that I've been doing with you on intuitive eating and health at every size. So tell us a little bit about how you became a registered dietitian and an intuitive eater. Yeah, that's a really great question. So when I was in high school, I had a really good friend who struggled with an eating disorder, and she went to treatment in San Diego. And when she finished, she said that her dietitian was just really, really helpful in her recovery journey. And so I was already interested in food and nutrition, and I've always been sort of an empath. And so hearing her story and how life-changing really this dietitian was for her really inspired me to pursue a career specifically specializing in eating disorders. And it actually wasn't until I got further into my career after a few years where I realized just how sick our, our culture is. So at the time, mm-hmm. I've been a dietitian for about 10 years. At the time, the term diet culture wasn't even a thing. Mm-hmm. So I would just refer to it as our sick culture in the way that people would think about food and our bodies and all of that. So really, I kind of fell into intuitive eating after I became a dietitian and after I had been working with people struggling with eating disorders for a few years. And as far as it goes for myself, in school, I never learned a a single thing about intuitive eating. It was really in its infancy when I was studying for my bachelor's and my master's. And so It was actually when I was in my master's program, I was interviewing somebody for my thesis project, and she had mentioned that she was an intuitive eater. And I was like, huh, I've I've never heard of that before. This was probably in 2005. And so I decided to start researching it for myself. And it was, it just clicked for me. I was like, this is what I've been searching for for years and years, because I was a very disordered eater, despite having a bachelor's degree in nutrition and, and being passionate about working with people who are struggling with eating disorders. So 
for me, I, I, I like to say I was just primed and ready to learn and start implementing the principles. So that's how it kind of all came together for me. I love that. Yeah, that's I love that. Like, I mean, it's just not, I don't know if I love that's appropriate, but the fact that it was a friend who you probably walked through that journey with her after her recovery when you were so young, but still impacted you to choose your career. I love hearing stories in that manner. It was kind of destined to be because of a life experience. So that's really cool. Yeah. I love how you said that, that it was destined to be that. That is, I've never described it like that, but that is a perfect way to describe it. Mm -hmm. So I really feel like I was really born to do the work that I do. Yeah. So I'm very grateful for my friend for that. So we know there's a there's a difference, but our listeners might not. So could you talk to us about the difference between registered dietitians and nutritionists? Yes, absolutely. So dietitians require a minimum of a bachelor's and actually now a, a master's degree is required as well. So when I was in school there was only a bachelor's that was required. Now it's a bachelor's and a master's. Mm. Fortunately, I went on and got my master's anyways. But in addition to now the bachelor's and master's, you do have to get accepted into an internship and do a minimum of 1200 hours of supervised practice mm-hmm. in different areas of nutrition. So um, dietitians have an extensive amount of experience and education with nutrition. When it comes to nutritionists, that really is a term that is very difficult to define because somebody could take a couple classes online and technically call themselves a nutritionist. So it's very unregulated. Mm. And unfortunately, I've, I've heard some really harmful messages that quote unquote nutritionists have shared with clients and and just random people usually on the internet. So with registered dietitians, you know that you actually are working with a nutrition expert. Uh, One thing I do want to add though to that is that different dietitians specialize in different things. Mm -hmm. So for example, if somebody were to call me and say, I have kidney disease, I'd really love to work with you. I would actually refer them out. I would not work with somebody who has kidney disease because that is not an area that I specialize in. Similarly, I would hope that other dietitians would refer out to me if they did not work with people who struggled with eating disorders and disordered eating. So really, there are quite a few specialties within even being a dietitian. And every dietitian you know, has a different personality, a different way of of teaching. So finding the right fit for you is important. Mm-hmm. But um, first and foremost, though, finding a registered dietitian is really important to make sure that you're getting legitimate nutrition advice and counseling. Yeah, I love that. That's, I mean, that was the main reason that when I had learned about you, because I learned about you through a friend of mine too, right? So um, when I learned about the work that you were doing, I was so excited that you were a registered dietitian because that was something that I had heard before was you could go to a nutritionist, but it's not as regulated and not as extensive of education um, and knowledge base. And so everybody had always told me, like, make sure you talk to a registered dietitian. And even I think you've touched on this before, too, is like your primary care doctor, your family doctor isn't going to have the same level of education around nutrition and food that a registered dietitian would. So that's why it's important mm-hmm. to like 
pick out a registered dietitian when you're looking for that kind of treatment. Absolutely. Yeah. I recently did a post on that actually that, um, kind of a lot of doctors were upset with me to be honest, but I really felt that it was important to share. And that is that doctors on average receive about 20 to 25 hours of direct nutrition education in medical school. Mm. Whereas dietitians, just in our one year internship, we are getting 1200 hours of nutrition education and experience. And that doesn't count or include my bachelor's or master's degree. So I think just the numbers speak for, for themselves that, you know, dietitians really are the people that people should be reaching out to if they're struggling with, with their nutrition. Uh, mm-hmm. Doctors are amazing for so many things, mm-hmm. but they are not nutrition experts. And I think that's a really important thing for people to hear and to understand. Yeah. I mean, I would definitely want to go to someone who's into the specialty of the need I have to fix than someone who's more general, you know, no shade to doctors. Like, obviously (laughs) they're great, but I absolutely would see the need to go to a registered dietitian or the want to, because you're really going to get that service. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like you would go to an oncologist if you Mm -hmm. had cancer, right? you know, your family doctor. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. So we talked a little bit about intuitive eating and how you became an intuitive eater. Um, But I think some people maybe have heard this term and don't actually know what it means. Um, And I know that you do a lot of talking about being an intuitive eater. Does that mean that we can eat whatever we want, whenever we want? You know, what does it actually mean to be an intuitive eater? Yes, it is a very loaded question. However, I can give you a pretty good synopsis of it. And I love that you're asking me this because there is so much misinformation out there about the term intuitive eating. And so intuitive eating is really getting back to what we were always biologically supposed to do. And every single person in this world was blessed with the gift of identifying hunger and fullness cues and having cravings. Mm. So through these biological cues, we are able to actually know and identify when we should eat, what we should eat, how much we should eat. I mean, really our bodies are our greatest source of knowledge when it comes to feeding ourselves. Mm -hmm. And like I said, every single person was born a natural intuitive eater. And unfortunately we live in a culture where diets and weight loss is praised. Um, I like to use the term fat phobic. We live in a very fat phobic culture, unfortunately, where mm-hmm. um, people fear gaining weight and, and will go to very extreme measures that are very dangerous and harmful in order to achieve what our sick culture deems as, as right or, or the best. And so, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm very passionate about talking about that. Obviously I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit more, but um, because of all of these cultural messages, it takes us away from really tuning in to our natural born intuitive eaters. So, you know, when we feel like we need to restrict certain things because certain foods are demonized in our culture, it, it makes it impossible for us to trust our bodies. And, you know, Conversely, our bodies then don't trust us when we aren't 
listening to it and giving it what it actually is saying it needs. So I love intuitive eating because it's all about getting back to our roots. It's all about getting back to what we were always supposed to do before, you know, random people told us that we should avoid certain things or only eat certain things and do these kind of exercises and, you know, all of those mixed messages that are just so confusing. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, it, it probably sounds simple, but it is a lot of work. It's a journey as I know, you know, Libby, (laughs) but it is the most freeing thing once you're able to get back to where you were always supposed to be. So Tiana and I have been working together for probably, we worked together for six weeks, I think now. And so not super long time, but long enough that I was eating a carrot today. And I thought to myself, this isn't a real vegetable. And then I had to think like, why do I think that carrots aren't real vegetables? And re, you know, rethink through that process of actually carrots are real vegetables. It's perfectly okay to eat a carrot. I shouldn't feel bad because I chose a carrot as a vegetable instead of, you know, something green, Mm. but that, you know, re retraining my brain to say, you know, it's okay to have cravings for something that a banana or a carrot or a piece of chocolate cake um, (laughs) that maybe diet culture would tell me to avoid. Yeah. Yeah. I think that cause I'm now I'm thinking of different diets. I'll throw out keto who tells you like what vegetables you can or cannot eat or good or not good. And like probably helped you to form that relationship with the carrot. You know, I don't know if it's specifically that, that particular diet, but there's just so many out there that will tell you eat low carb, eat high carb, eat low fat, high fat, no fat, or, you know, high protein, whatever. I think if we can just to talk about the harms that diet culture actually have, because everyone's throwing out a new diet. I feel like because I've been a larger child, a larger woman my whole life, I've been on diet since I was (laughs) five or six. I can remember going to a nutritionist at a young age and like all these different diets that have flown throughout my life have, I think now probably caused harm to me. So if you could talk about just what the harm is now within our society of this huge diet culture. Yes, absolutely. So diet culture sucks. I had a client the other day, she was like, diet culture just ruins everything. And it really does. It ruins your metabolism. It ruins uh, your relationship with food, your relationship with others, your relationship with your body. It is the number one way to, yeah, completely destroy your relationship with food and your body. And A lot of studies have actually shown that through dieting, weight cycling is a major part of that. And what weight cycling is, is when you go on a diet, you lose weight, the diet's not sustainable. So you go off the diet, you gain back all the weight that you lost, probably plus some, Mm -hmm. and it continues to cycle up and down for oftentimes years for people. And the consequences of weight cycling actually are predictors for chronic disease. So if somebody has had a history of yo-yo dieting and and their weight fluctuating a lot throughout their life, they're at greater risk for developing type 2 diabetes, Mm. hyperlipidemia, metabolic disease, all of these things that, you know, unfortunately, our our weight-focused health system is saying that we need to try to avoid through losing weight. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And so, you know, again, I, I have nothing against doctors, but I have had a number of stories told to me from my clients that their doctors told them that because of their BMI, they need to go on the keto diet. Mm-hmm. They need to do intermittent fasting. They need to try paleo, all of these different fad diets to try to lose weight. But this is not helping the problem. What It's ac- actually making it worse because mm-hmm. people are going on these diets. Yes, they're losing weight. Maybe, maybe not. But usually when they lose the weight, it's not sustainable. So they end up gaining weight. And when this happens, it's just increasing their risk for chronic disease even more. So we have to get away from this weight-focused healthcare. It it just, it doesn't work. It's counterintuitive. Mm -hmm. So with diet culture, I get really angry. You can tell I'm very passionate about this. (laughs) So I get kind of worked up, but it just makes makes me mad because so much of it also is about money. Mm -hmm. The diet industry could care less about your health. They will mask that it's all about your health, but it's not. Mm -hmm. It is a multi-billion dollar industry for a reason. Mm -hmm. And they know if they can continue to make you feel bad about yourself, that they're going to continue to get your money. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just so wrong on so many levels. So, you know, my goal as a dietitian is to work with somebody for, you know, three to six months. Some of my clients who suffer from eating disorders, I will see for a year or more. But my goal is to work with somebody and never have to work with them again. Mm-hmm. Unlike the, the diet industry where it's like, try my diet. Yeah, you'll lose weight, but you're going to gain it all back and then come back to me because I'll have a new promise for you. Right. Yeah. And it's. It's just BS. Mm. That's my opinion. <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, when I was a child, I, my mom has told me stories that when I was a child, she would take me to the doctor and she, you know, I was, I was overweight since I was five, you know, I mean, and the doctor would just say, well, feed her less. And my mom, you know, she was like crying and saying, how am I supposed to starve my hungry child? Because you think that she's too fat. Like, I can't just feed her less like she's hungry. And so like really kind of ingrained just from the very beginning that, oh, your child's overweight, restrict their food. And so I I know that especially for you with kids, that's like a big, a big deal. And I know you talked a little bit around Halloween too, about kind of restricting candy and kids and stuff like that. So um, do you want to talk a little bit about kind of the weight stigma and children and kind of what you've seen introducing intuitive eating to kids? Yes, absolutely. This is one subject that I am, again, just really passionate about. I guess there's a lot of subjects I'm passionate about, but with kids in particular, I mean, just hearing that Libby hurts my heart to know that, that a doctor told your mom that you're an overweight child and that you need to be fed less despite being hungry. I know this is going to sound like a really bold statement, but I feel strongly about it. It is nutritionally neglectful to restrict children based off of what they biologically need. And I feel very, very strong about that. I think that it is not okay. And with children, I, I often get calls from people, parents, 
wanting me to work with their kids because their BMI says that they are overweight or obese. I always, always teach the parents first about intuitive eating in these situations because it's not the child's fault at all. And so I really use a a health focused approach Mm -hmm. in actually educating the entire family. So we talk about intuitive eating. We talk about the importance of offering variety at every single meal, making sure that foods such as candy is actually in the home and available for children to eat. Because I've heard so many stories of kids where they grow up in homes where their parents have banned sugar, and then they end up going to their friend's house, hide in their pantry, and binge on all of their sweet foods. Mm -hmm. That is not healthy. And the reason kids are doing that is because they're being deprived in their own home. Mm -hmm. So with intuitive eating, I teach that when foods are readily available and foods are not demonized, meaning we're not saying vegetables are great and bagels are horrible. Uh, That's an example of demonizing food. Mm -hmm. You know, it it never ends well because our inner child is going to want to rebel when we're told that we can't have certain things or when we're told that certain things are bad. Yeah. So, so again, with kids, you know, it, it's all about family education. It's about doing movement that's enjoyable as a family never singling out a single child and teaching everybody about intuitive eating and letting the child rely on their own internal cues that they were born with. Mm-hmm. And, and just because a child may also be larger doesn't mean that that's wrong. The only reason people think that's wrong is because our sick culture has convinced everybody of that. Yeah. And every child is going to grow at different rates. Not every child is going to be quote unquote normal, according to BMI standards. So I can't remember if I told you this, Libby, or not. I like to sometimes compare human beings to different like dogs. And I know that sounds really weird. But if you think about it, like a bull mastiff, no matter how much a bull mastiff starves itself, it will never look like a chihuahua ever. Mm -hmm. And so why as human beings are we expected to all look like chihuahuas? Mm -hmm. Right. It's never going to happen. So with children, I like to really use that analogy because they're still growing on top of being, you know, everybody being different. So, um, yeah, we're all built differently. That's normal. Mm -hmm. That's the way it was always meant to be. So again, that's why, you know, weight is never the focus. It's more about getting back to really being in touch with those intuitive signals that we were all born with. Yeah. Oh man, where were you when I was a kid? (laughs) Um, But I I want to go back because you said something I I wanted to touch on. You said a child who's larger isn't wrong. And those thoughts of I'm fat, I'm different, even like being at a lunch table, that was so the opposite of what I grew up with. Like I was always looked at like I was wrong. For instance, I remember in the first grade, 
I would always get my work done sooner than the rest of my classroom. And it came to the point that because I would start, you know, acting up or talking or whatever and distracting other kids because I was bored and they would have me go outside for like an hour, an hour and a half. My teacher would send me out the classroom because she didn't know what to do with me. And my mom got wind of this and came and talked to my counselor, my guidance counselor at the school and was like, my child needs to be learning. Like, this is not right that you're taking her out of the classroom. Something needs to be done. And the counselor told my mom, you shouldn't be worried about your child being outside. You should be worried that she's fat. And yeah. And my mom, I grew up in a single parent home. My mom was really open with me. And she didn't tell me that immediately. I was like six, but she did tell me that later on about how I ended up transferring schools and getting into another program because of that interaction. Because my mom ended up going off on the counselor. (laughs) But those thoughts, I'm fat. I'm different, even like being at a lunch table. And if I finish my lunch, people will judge me at like Mm -hmm. eight years old. I remember having those thoughts of like, I have to be like the skinnier girls, like leave the Mm -hmm. food behind. So people won't think, oh, because you ate everything, you're being the fat girl. I wish I could have told that to my eight, seven year old self, because you're larger doesn't mean it's bad. You know, no one ever shared that with me. Yeah. That brings me to the philosophy of health at every size, um, which is something that I think is becoming more popular, becoming more widely known. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think a lot of people still don't fully understand what that is or what that mm-hmm. means. Absolutely. Um, Tana, can you tell us a little bit about kind of what health at every size means and, and how that works? Yes, absolutely. So health at every size, similar to intuitive eating, is very misunderstood. So I love that you're bringing up health at every size. So health at every size is all about, well, there's a few things. First, it's about focusing on health behaviors rather than the number on the scale. And that's something that I teach my clients all day, every day. That, you know, if you are treating your body with respect and caring for it, and, and being intuitive, then you're engaging in healthy behaviors. And just because the number on the scale puts you in a category where maybe it says that you're obese or overweight, which is ridiculous in and of itself, but um, you are still healthy. Like just because that number may say something else because of some stupid chart, it's ridiculous. Also with health at every size, it's about accepting your biological blueprint. So like I said, with with comparing with like dogs, everybody is biologically different. We all have our own biological blueprint. And so it is about understanding that like you can't change who you are genetically, you know, and, and working through that. I do a lot of work with my clients and working through that often. Um, and then the next part, let me think, is about kind of pushing away weight stigma, you know, recognizing that like weight stigma is a thing, that fat phobia is a thing, and that it's not okay. Mm-hmm. And I was doing my intuitive eating training today with Evelyn Triboli, and she brought up um, the topic of thin privilege. And she actually said, she's like, I actually prefer the term uh, body privilege. And I really like that. And so I 
have been privileged with that as a health at every size and non-diet dietitian, I feel like it's part of my role to be an advocate for people living in larger bodies. And that is a big part of health at every size as well, being able to respect people of all sizes and, and to not be judgmental because weight stigma is, is a very real thing that a lot of my clients have personally experienced. And so um, although it isn't something that I've personally experienced, I'm grateful that I can use my voice as a registered dietitian to speak out against weight stigma. And so that is, again, an, another big part of being a health at every size practitioner. So that's kind of health at every size in a nutshell. There's a lot more to it. I think the biggest misconception is that, oh, you can be whatever you weight you whatever weight you want and not be healthy and that's okay. And they are not promoting that, that you engage in unhealthy behaviors. I think everybody would agree that if, if you ate the same food every single day, it's probably not healthy because you're not getting variety. You know, it really is promoting being healthy, but not letting the number on the scale dictate that for you. Yeah. I love that. Especially thinking like, like if we all ate the same and we all exercised the same, did the exact same workouts, did the exact same time, ate the same food, the same amount of food, we would still all look dramatically different. Mm-hmm. And I told Kendra this the other day and she goes, yeah, because we weren't made in a factory. <laughs> it's like, exactly. You know, yes. we're not made in a factory. We're not plastic dolls. No. And we're all different. Yeah. I think one of the, I guess it's something I've come to now, like, be familiar with, but also slightly enjoy is when I go to the doctors and they look at me at my size and are like, we need to get all the tests run for you because you have to be diabetic or whatever. And then the tests will come back when I'm getting like, you know, my annual checkup, whatever. And I come back with everything fine because I, yes, I'm in a larger body, but I have been a physical like dancing, running, playing volleyball since I was four years old. Like I've always been physical and then they get really shocked that, oh, you have perfectly fine levels, like your cholesterol is great, you don't have high blood pressure, all this stuff. Um, or are you, how are you eating? And they're surprised. I'm like, oh, I eat salads and I eat vegetables, but I also eat bread and I eat pancakes. I mix it up. So that shock on a medical professional space of, oh, so you're not in here for the things that I would look at you And I guess that's their unconscious bias and assume that you would be here for. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's just something I've just come to notice in my past 10, 15 years of when I encounter doctors. Yeah, same, Mm -hmm. same thing. I, you know, an example of weight stigma. I have eczema, which is a a new thing that came up. And so I went to a doctor, a family doctor, and then I got referred to a, a dermatologist and even then it was like, well, it could be because of your weight. And it's like, what does my weight have to do with my skin? And so then I talked to the, the family doctor told me that. And then I talked to the dermatologist and he was like, no, it's nothing to do with that. It's nothing to do with what you're eating. He's like, it's everything to do with the environment. You're coming into contact with something you're allergic to. He was like, it's nothing to do with your body. And I was like, well, my family doctor made me feel so bad that mm-hmm. I needed to lose weight because you know, my skin is like breaking out. Yeah. And it, that was just her weight stigma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and that's a perfect example too of how our healthcare system is is really broken, how it is so focused on weight. And 
that's not weight is often not the cause for a lot of these things like eczema. Are you kidding me? That's, that's silly, you know? So I, I just have so much compassion for my clients as, as a thin woman with thin privilege, I have never had to experience those things, but I could eat and, and not move my body terribly. Like, and granted, that's a very subjective term to use in regards to health behaviors, but I could do those things. And my doctor is not going to question a thing Mm -hmm. because my BMI is where they want it to be. Mm -hmm. And that's unfortunate. You know, I have a lot of clients that come in and and are very unhealthy, but have a normal BMI and are never questioned about a single thing. Mm -hmm. And it just, it's, it's one of those things that, that just bothers me that I wish I could, you know, shout from the rooftops that like weight does not equal health. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Especially when we talk about disordered eating and eating disorders. Um, I struggled with bulimia for probably half my life. And when I was at my lowest weight was when I was at my sickest in my eating disorder. Um, but everybody praised me for losing weight Mm -hmm. and, and you look so great and you know, all this stuff. And I was dying inside. I was actually like killing myself. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's like, you can't tell how healthy somebody is just by looking at them. And I think that's the thing that when I started learning about health at every size, I realized like, it's not about how you look, it's how you take care of yourself and how your act your mental, physical and emotional health and well-being. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So um with that, we're wondering coming from this health at every size with your clients or even with your children, how are you teaching them to look at bodies positively or embrace body positivity? Yeah, so quite honestly, with my five-year-old, I don't think he even really knows what fat means. I don't think that he, I definitely don't think he sees it as a negative because I have never made negative comments about my weight, about another person's weight. We are very weight neutral. Our bodies are just our bodies. They get us from point A to point B Mm -hmm. and that's it. When I do hear negative comments from other people with my older kids that are a little bit more uh, aware and, and they also don't have special needs. My five-year-old does have special needs. And so his level of understanding is even less than probably most kids that are his age. Um, I have a conversation with them about it. And I talk to them about how weight does not equal health, that everybody is different and that is normal. And so I really try to stay positive. Um, I also speak very positively or neutral about foods. You know, I don't praise them for eating certain foods. I don't get down on them for not eating certain foods. Food is something that is something we, we just do for fuel and for enjoyment. And there isn't a whole lot of um, good versus bad talk when it comes to food or bodies. Um, And then with body positivity overall, I like to see, I like to say that, you know, body positivity is really on a spectrum. So most people, when they come in to see me, their, their body image is is typically pretty negative. Mm -hmm. And the goal is for them to get to a point where maybe they don't love their body, 
but they can respect their body. Mm-hmm. And so I think that is, you know, the first step in being able to recognize, okay, in what ways do I admire my body or in what ways am I grateful for my body? And typically we try to make those not appearance focused, but rather, you know, I'm grateful that I have functioning legs that allow me to walk my dog, you know, I'm grateful that I have strength in my arms to do the things I need to every single day, pick up my kids or whatever it may be. Um, And so, you know, I really think the, the mind shift that we're trying to make often with body positivity isn't so much like love every aspect of your body, because I recognize that may not be realistic for most people, mm-hmm. but rather how can we treat our bodies with kindness? Mm. How can we care for them in, in how we, you know, fuel them and move them and, and think about them. So, you know, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of mind shift work that goes on with, with body positivity. That's the one thing that I've loved about working with you is from day one, the the questions were not around my weight, right? It was about like, I, before I started working with you, I was like, oh God, am I going to have to like get weighed and like tell her how much I weigh? And is that going to be something we're going to talk about? And I texted my friend that works with you too. And I was like, okay, what do I expect? And she was like, no, like, she's not going to tell you not to eat anything that you want to eat. And she's not going to weigh you. And she's not going to like make you feel bad about yourself. But even from the first questions that you asked me were, how do you feel about your body? And, you know, in the first intake, you asked me that. And then at the end of a couple of our sessions, you're like, okay, but let's now talk about your body. We've talked about like what you're eating and that, but like, how are you feeling about your body? How is your body positivity um, and the way you view yourself? And I loved that because no other like diet or, you know, specialist that I have mm-hmm. seen has ever said, how's your body image? Mm-hmm. How's your mental health around your body? They've always just been like, how much, how much do you weigh? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Or it's always let's, well, let's address the problem because clearly there is one and not how is your mental health surrounding your body? Yeah. It's, it's such a big part of if you want to lose weight or, you know, get in touch with just yourself that is not acknowledged. Yeah, yeah. So I really appreciated that. Oh, good. I'm, I'm so glad. And I, um, I always say that, you know, with body image, when our body image is poor, when we're not able to tap into why we're grateful for our body, it's very difficult to also tune in and, and really pay attention to these intuitive signals that we were all given. And so body image work and working through, you know, the body positivity movement is key in becoming an intuitive eater. It is such an important aspect of that because if somebody doesn't work on that, you know, it's going to be so hard to have what I like to call um, an Evelyn Triboli who wrote the book likes to call introceptive awareness. So that's the awareness of what's happening within our bodies. And, And if we're not aware of that, it's going to be really hard to take care of our bodies the way that they need to be taken care of. So yeah, I'm, I'm huge on body image work. I think it's so important. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. You know, years and years ago, I, I had heard something. I probably read it online. Somebody had said that one thing to do is to like smile at yourself in the mirror or like physically, like verbally out loud, say nice compliments to yourself. 
And at the time I was like, this is so cheesy. I'm going to try it. And so I started to really flirt with myself in the mirror. I'm like, I'll wink at myself if I like, as I pass by or um, smile or say like, Hey, love you. You look beautiful. And at first it felt, I mean, like I said, it was really cheesy and it felt really uncomfortable, but now it's to the point where I don't go in the bathroom and beat myself up over my looks. Um, I don't record a video or take a picture and immediately pick apart every little detail that I dislike because I've started to learn to cultivate that relationship with myself Mm -hmm. and see myself as a beautiful, sexual, gorgeous person. Mm -hmm. Um, And that took years and years and years of work for me. Yeah, I'm still a work in progress for that, for sure. As you mentioned earlier, like I was one of those people who did a diet, lost about 80 pounds, and then slowly gained everything back because I didn't maintain that because it wasn't healthy, that diet I was part of. In that, I, when I was at my smallest was when I had the worst issues with my body, even though I had lost all this weight, I still was just so uncomfortable with how I looked and would nitpick every piece of my skin. Um, if I looked in the mirror, being at a larger size, I found like the past two years, I've been more comfortable, even though my body's bigger than it was, than I ever was when I was smaller. Now I'll go out in a crop top because I feel real cute. And like, just embrace it. And if you don't like it, that's your business. It's not mine. Like I'm out here being myself and loving myself, but I'm still working towards that. And I have those days where I look in the mirror and still want to just tear myself apart. But hearing that, love you, like, you look great. Like, maybe that's something I need to add to this practice to help improve my image of how I see myself more. I highly recommend it. Yeah. You are cute. I love love that you mentioned that at your smallest, you still weren't happy. Mm -hmm. I hear that all the time. And I think that is a perfect example of how we can actually heal our body image no matter our size Mm -hmm. and that losing weight is not the solution. That's not going to solve your problems. It's not going to make you feel confident the way that you think that it will. And so, yeah, body image work is huge. And, and I love, I love the idea of flirting with yourself. I've, I haven't actually heard it in those terms, but I love that. Like, I think that that is, genius. And I'm totally going to suggest that for clients. So thank you. (laughs) So we always ask, um, because this is a conscious leadership podcast, uh, what are one or two ways that you practice living consciously? So the number one way that I feel conscious and aware of where I am in, in life and how I'm feeling is through yoga. And this is something that I actually, so I've been doing yoga for years, but during quarantine, so since COVID started, I really fell in love with yoga. Mm -hmm. And no matter how stressed out I am, because I have been pretty stressed this year, like most people, when I give myself just 20 minutes to do yoga, It is amazing how it just calms me and helps me to be present of what's actually important in life. And so for me, that is, that's just been huge. And obviously there's a lot of meditation and things that go along with yoga. Um, 
And so I feel really amazing when I do yoga. So that's probably the first thing. Um, the second thing I would say is with like meal time specifically, that is another time that I set aside specifically for dinner. Sorry, not every meal is like that. I, I'm not quote unquote perfect. <laughs> um, like some people may believe dietitians are because we aren't. But dinner time is really a time when I sit down without distractions, it's me and my family at the dinner table, and I'm able to really be fully present for a good 30 minutes every single day. And so that is a habit, and I guess you could call it a tradition too, in our home that we, we started when my husband and I got married about a year and a half ago. and. I'm just so grateful for that because even if I don't have time maybe to, to do my yoga, I know at least I have that, that 30 minutes to really enjoy a good meal, enjoy the company of my family and, and just block everything else out. Um, so those are, those are my top two for sure. I love that. I do too. Yeah. I don't think enough. I know I don't take the time to like put away my screen. Sometimes I eat with my phone in my hand and I'm not, I'm not even paying attention to the taste of the food. So it's something I can relate to and trying to be more conscious of that. Yeah. All right. So our last question we like to ask is what are you currently reading? Okay. So this is going to sound so cliche, but because I'm doing my intuitive eating counselor training right now, I am rereading intuitive eating for like the fifth time. So that's what I'm mostly focused on. I wish I had um, a more like leisure type uh, book to recommend, but um, really I'm just diving deep into it. Probably, I'm probably diving deeper into the book now than I ever have before Mm -hmm. and highlighting all the things and, you know, thinking of my clients and how I can help them apply some of these things through my reading. So, so yeah, that's what I'm reading. And I do highly recommend it, even though it's not really a leisure type book, it is life changing. And I mean that yeah. wholeheartedly. So I agree. Yeah. Great book. I'll have to look it up. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today. Yes. You've given us so much information. And I think that's so valuable. Yeah. We've really enjoyed having you. Thank you. It was an honor to be here and so nice to, yeah, just spend this time and um, just be a part of this. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thanks for joining us. New episodes drop every Thursday on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. To join the conversation and be a part of the community, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at USDCLA or email us at theadjacentself at sandiego.edu. Can't wait to hear from you.